You know, this past week we uh, celebrated Mother's Day. It was May 10th, and it was a, a different Mother's Day than we've ever had probably in our lifetime. And, and Kim wanted to do something not just for our family. She wanted to do something for our community, for our neighborhood. And during the entire time of this quarantine, Kim has found ways to create community, create connection all over our community and uh, here in Los Angeles. So she had this idea and she called one of our friends, Laura Williams, who owns a, a floor shop and, and she creates all these beautiful installations with flowers. And, and she had her decorate the swing in our front yard. And then she took out a bicycle that had flat tires and hasn't been ridden for quite a long time. And, and she had them establish a, a floral installation in the basket on, on the, the bike. And then she put them on the front yard. Then she put a sign on the walkway that said, uh, told all the uh, families that they're welcome to come and take a photograph here. And, and she set it up early, early on Sunday morning, on May 10th. And I, I, it was one of those days where I was hoping someone would come and take a photograph so that Kim wouldn't feel like she, she'd put all that energy and effort and, and resource into it and, and then no one come and take advantage of it. But it started up very early. People would just sort of walk by and take photographs, but not quite venture up to the yard. She, she went ahead and put uh, different um, uh, sanitary uh, kind of uh, equipment down at the bottom so that people could wash their hands and, and make sure that they could wipe off the, the, the swing and, and make sure that there's social distancing and, and that everything is sanitized. But little by little, people began to come. Little by little, people began taking photographs and Kim was just so excited. It was more important for her that she created a moment for all these other moms and all these other families. And it was for her what she was experiencing. We're trying to celebrate her and she's trying to celebrate the entire world. And this went on throughout the afternoon. We went and had a great breakfast together. We, uh, we spent time together as a family. And then in the afternoon, she sent out this little memo to people letting them know, come take photographs. I did not know she did this. And suddenly, one couple came with their brand new baby that was born on the first day, I think it was, of quarantine in Milo. And, and so all of a sudden the mom and dad come and we see Milo for the first time. And, and, and then also another couple came and Aaron Haven and they brought their beautiful little girl and Isley. And, and they were all sitting in chairs, socially distancing themselves, sitting in their front yard, having a conversation. And then suddenly I saw this truck go by. It said Channel 5 News. I got a little nervous, to be honest with you. There have been days where it feels like everybody's watching everyone and, and trying to catch everyone, do the wrong thing. And we're trying to be really careful to, uh, to uh, do all the right things, but at the same time to create a sense of connection. And so I made sure everybody had a mask and that we were you know, uh, all the right distance apart. And suddenly the news crew from Channel 5 came over and said, we've been looking for a good story. We've been looking for a heartwarming story on Mother's Day. We've been covering COVID every single day for the last two months, and every story is so negative. And can you tell us a little bit of what's going on? And I just pointed right to Kim and said, this is all her. I'm just her support team. And, and so they began asking her about what she's doing, and she was just opening up her heart, saying how she just knew that, that families uh, were really struggling during this Mother's Day, and, and she wanted to make sure that there was a, just a chance to let people know that they mattered and send a photograph to mom or take a photograph with their mom. And, said, can we film this? And next thing you know, Channel 5 News is there, and they're filming, and, and one family uh, gets interviewed, then another family gets interviewed, then a third family gets interviewed. And, 
And I have to say, I was so nervous because I thought, oh, I don't want to be the, uh, you know, the, the pastor mosaic who has violated all the, the ordinances. And we live three blocks away from Eric Garcetti, our, our, our mayor. So I was a little nervous about what's going on. And, 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 and then that night, they showed this, this probably more than five-minute story of what Kim McManus has been doing throughout the COVID crisis of creating community and creating a space and how on Mother's Day she created this beautiful installation for people to come and celebrate their moms. And, and it was the most um, uplifting and, um, and inspiring story. And it really struck me how, how three blocks away is the most influential person in our city. And at least at this moment, Kim McManus was the most influential person and, uh, in our entire community. How do you make a difference when you seem to have nothing working in your favor? If you have no power, no position, no money, no wealth, no fame, no title. There's a particular place in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 where we see an individual who has a daunting challenge in front of him. In fact, he has the, 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 the challenge of of setting an entire city free when he has no wealth, no power, no resources, no training, and yet somehow God uses him to do what no one else could accomplish. Look with me in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, beginning in verse 13. Solomon writes these words, I saw under the sun an example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. There was once a small city with only a few people in it, and a great king came against it and surrounded it and built a huge siege work against it. Now, there lived in that city a man who was poor but wise. And he saved the city by his wisdom. But nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength. But the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words were no longer heeded. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than the weapons of war, but one sinner can destroy much good. This is this beautiful story that Solomon unwraps. And you have to remember the backdrop of Solomon's own life. The Bible tells us that Solomon is the wisest man who ever lived outside of Jesus. That when God offered him anything and everything, instead of choosing wealth or power or fame, he chose wisdom. And so God gave him the gift of wisdom so he could rule over his people. So when Solomon says, I saw wisdom under the sun that astonished me, you, you have to pay attention to that. You have to realize that, that, that this is a contrast, a comparison with the wisest man who ever lived. How could the wisest person who ever lived see wisdom that actually impressed him, that astonished him? You know, I've been watching the, uh, the documentary, The Last Dance, and, and just reveling in the story of Michael Jordan. And of course, by the way, Michael Jordan went to the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, where I went. And so he's a Tar Heel, I'm a Tar Heel. That's enough association I need. And I graduated in 82. He started playing in 82. I mean, do I need to go any further? And so I've been watching The Last Dance and just watching how Jordan emerges out of greatness in college and to become perhaps the greatest athlete who has ever lived. And, and you see this dynamic as the story is developing, that, that among the greats, he was the greatest. I mean, here he was competing against the best athletes in the world, and they couldn't, they couldn't sustain 
any kind of defense against him. And you have to stop and, and, and think about the fact that he's not playing against just average people. He's not even just playing against good athletes. He's playing against the best athletes in the world. And he's still so far superior to the rest of them that they pale in comparison. I was listening to Charles Barkley talk about how up to the day he played against Jordan, he never thought there was a better player on the court than him. But on that day, he realized that, that Michael Jordan was a superior player than he was. Imagine being the best in the world until you meet the best in the world. Now, if Michael Jordan says, that player is a great player, or that player astonished me. Or when I played against that player, that player just blew my mind with his talent, his skills, his handles, his shooting. That would be the kind of contrast of Solomon saying, I just saw wisdom that astonished me. Now, what is it about this poor man's wisdom that so astonished and arrested Solomon? See, Solomon understood the power of wisdom with wealth, the power of wisdom with power the power of wisdom with position. But Solomon had never experienced the power of wisdom without position or power or influence or fame or wealth. Now you have this poor man who has wisdom, but he lacks all the other resources that Solomon had. I think this is why Solomon was so impressed. He said at once, saw wisdom under the sun that impressed me because there was this poor man who was poor, but he was wise. And through his wisdom, he set his entire city free. Now, he does give us a little interesting note. He says there was once a small town or a small city with just a few people in it. And can you imagine that your resume would be, oh, I come from a small town with only a few people in it. But in the town with just a few people, I'm just the poor guy. So even when there was very little competition, he never emerged to the top. He was just from a small town with a few people in it, and he was a poor man. And up to that point in his life, he had never attained anything that would be notable, nothing in his life that would separate him from anyone else. He was just a poor man from a small town with a few people in it. And maybe that's where you're at right now. Maybe you're at that place in your life where you just feel like you're so insignificant. You feel as if they're, 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 you have no, no real possibility of making a difference in the world. Maybe you feel like you're that, that person who comes from a small town with only a few people in it. And even against them, you never emerged and you never found your greatness. I want you to realize that in this moment, what Solomon is seeing is the power of influence. What he's unwrapping in this particular narrative is that you do not need position, you do not need wealth, you do not need fame, you do not need a name to make a difference in the world. If you understand the power of influence and the influence that comes from wisdom. See, the warrior seeks to be invisible because the goal of the warrior isn't to be known. The warrior would much rather spend their life being worth knowing than to be well known. The warrior understands that, that fame is not the same as greatness, that notoriety is not the same as impact. And as you look at this passage, I just want you to remember a few things about your own life, that you are not limited by who you are not. 
I think so oftentimes in this life, we become so focused on who we are not because we live in comparison with other people. We, we look at other people and think, well, I'm not that person. I don't have that. Or, uh, you know, I, I've never um, I had that opportunity. I didn't go to that college. I, I don't come from that family. I don't have that name. And I, I think what's happened in the world of, of social media and the world of, uh, of, of comparison through Instagram and Twitter and, and Facebook and everything else that's out there is that you know who everyone else is. And we end up in this, this, this tragedy of comparison. I think that's why so many people, even at an early age, when they're 22, they feel like they're failures. I can't tell you how many times I talk to people and they think it's too late and they're only 18 or they feel like they, their life has just set them by and they're 25. And I think so oftentimes what happens is that we are so focused on who we are not that we actually lose sight of who we are. See, this was just a poor man from a small town with only a few people in it. And he could have lived his whole life excusing his lack of impact by saying, you don't understand who I am because they measure who they are by who they are not. I, I, I love that reminder in my own life. I mean, uh, I'm an immigrant from El Salvador. I, I, I never knew my real father. I, I gotta tell you, I, I never really even knew what my real name was at times. And, and I actually, maybe even still to this day. And, 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 and even though I have a great mom and I have a great legacy through my grandparents on my mother's side, there's, there was always that sense of, of loss, of, of not really knowing my father and not really knowing his story and not knowing the legacy of his family. And, and I think there's a lot of people who are like me who feel that there's a part of them that, that they never came to understand, that a part of their identity that, that always was elusive to them. And, and growing up, I was more defined by who I was not than who I was. And I, I, I grew up with a brother who's super talented and super smart. And I have sisters who were so brilliant. And, and I had a great backdrop of who I was not. And there's some of you who, your story is more like mine. You know, I, I was almost a good athlete. I, I was, well, except for some years when I wasn't even almost a good athlete. And there were times I was almost a good student, except for those times where I was a terrible student. And, and, and in fact, as I looked throughout my life, I tried so many things, and average would have been an achievement for me. And so what happened, failure after failure after failure after failure, in the backdrop of people I knew who were successful and successful and successful, I began defining who I was by who I was not, rather than who I am. And one of the most powerful things that Jesus does in our life is that he begins to give us an identity rooted in who he is in our life. And he begins to restructure in us an identity based on who God has created us to become. And one of the most liberating things you will ever experience in your life is when you realize that you can be a poor man from a small town with only a few people in it. But the moment God sees you and begins to pour wisdom into your life, the moment you begin to humble yourself and allow God to shape who you are, you will have all the resources you need to make all the difference in the world you are created to make. This was a poor man who set an entire city free and he was not limited by who he was not. So stop thinking about who you are not and start paying attention to who you are. 
But what you also discover in this is that you're not just limited by who you are not. You're not limited by what you do not have. I, I think a lot of times in life, we, we've, we become convinced that the reason we, we never see our dreams come to fruition, the reason we, we never accomplish our goals, the reason we never attain a level of greatness is that we, we've always lacked the resources. Uh, uh, recently, Aaron's got me on this whole documentary on Formula One drivers, and I never thought that I would be into F1 racing, but all of a sudden, I'm going crazy. And one of the things I've discovered just on a personal note is that if I get on the treadmill and I start running and I'm watching Formula One, I run faster. <laughs> and uh, my heart is racing, my adrenaline is pumping, and these cars are just flying and I'm running. And it has a visceral effect on who I am as a human being. But one of the things I don't fully get, or it's hard for me to really embrace, is that so much of Formula One racing is about money. You can be a great driver, but if you don't bring a lot of money, you will not be given a place on a team. And I, and I think if I had the numbers right, it's like Ferrari spends a half a billion dollars a year on their racing team. Two cars basically race half a billion a year. And uh, the, the, the teams that spend less money spend around 180 million a year. And, and so in many ways, even though there's talent involved and there's skill involved and there's courage involved, I, I think it's unavoidable to say that money can buy you a championship. Because if you spend a half a billion dollars and you have a better car, if you have two drivers who are of equal talent, equal skill and equal courage, but one has a better car, well, it's not equally based. And I think so oftentimes life is like that. A lot of us feel like, well, we can't even get into an F1 racing team. 180 million on the low end would be great. I would love to be that poor. But most of us spend our lives focused on what we do not have. And one of the things that really intrigues me are, are those teams and those drivers, and they know they're, they're at a mechanical deficit. They are at a financial deficit but they drive with so much tenacity, they drive with so much intention and courage and resolve that they're, they're almost trying to defy the law of averages. And the moment someone whose car took less money to create and who beats someone whose car took more money, it just begins to tip the scales in life. Now, imagine if God could, in a sense, turn the whole world of Formula One racing upside down. And it wasn't about whether you had a half a billion dollars to spend, but the person who had the most wisdom would be the one who would win Monte Carlo. The person who had the most wisdom would be the one who would be the leader in, in the number of points they had at the end of the year. See, I, I think the reality is that, that there are many arenas in life where money can get you the victory or money can give you the competitive advantage. But when you're dealing with God's purpose and intention for your life, I wanna be absolutely clear. You are not limited by what you do not have. God has given you everything you need to fulfill his great purpose in your life. And the crazy thing is, you may not have everything you need right now because the challenge isn't here yet. 
But the moment that challenge comes, I'm telling you, the resources of God will come. And one of the powerful things about how Jesus works in our lives is he doesn't give us the resources we need so that we can move out in faith. He actually waits for us to move out in faith so that he can give us the resources we need. I think so many times we actually work from this mindset that provision creates vision. But the reality is it's the other way around. It is vision that creates provision. When you begin to move in faith, when you begin to move in obedience, when you begin to move with intention, when you begin to act on what you know you must do, even when you're under-resourced, it creates in you the space for God to do something extraordinary in your life. I can tell you throughout our lives, Kim and I have always stepped out under-resourced to do everything we've been called to do in our lives. If we waited for the resources, we'd still be waiting to this day. The reason Solomon saw wisdom that impressed him was he saw the power of wisdom without any resources at all. I would give anything to get to know the details of how this poor man set an entire city free without any resources when he began. I can tell you this. One of the things I've learned in my own life is that the resources you actually need are not material resources, but human resources. The material you need to move forward to accomplish everything God has for you are the people that God surrounds you with. And the resources that they need are people like you surrounding them. My life experience has taught me one thing. Money and material possessions, they are so incidental in comparison to having the right people in your life. This poor man didn't have the power of position and did not have the power of wealth, but he understood the power of influence. How do you move an entire city to freedom? Not by shouting, but by whispering. If you want to move into the future that God has for you, you need to understand the power of influence. Who are the people in your life right now that if you began to elevate your own life, if you began to live with more courage, if you began to live with more faith, if you began to live with more compassion, if you began to live with more love, that you would begin to raise the sea level for everyone around you and everyone else starts elevating too. See, stop waiting for someone to raise the sea level in your life. Stop waiting for God to somehow miraculously and magically raise the sea level of your life. If your life is like a ship and you're shipwrecked because there is, there is not enough water to elevate your ship, you need to raise the sea level. And you raise that sea level with faith, with courage, with intention, with compassion, with love, with hope. You move forward and you watch God elevate your life. And when you elevate, you take everyone who's connected to you with you. You are not limited by who you are not. And you are not limited by what you do not have. I've talked to so many friends over the years that became incredibly successful, some of them millionaires, some of them even billionaires. And I've watched several of them over a lifetime lose virtually everything they had. And each time, a part of the interesting mental construct 
and that you have to step back into is realizing that before you had a billion dollars, you had nothing. Before you had a million dollars, you had nothing. And oftentimes I would ask him, I said, look, tell me, what did you have when you started? He said, oh, I had nothing. He said, I had $50 in the bank, or I had $300 in the bank, or I had $1,200 in the bank, man. I couldn't even pay my rent. I said, all right, you started with nothing, and with nothing, you grew to a million. With nothing, you grew to a billion. So now you think you're starting with nothing, but you're not. So you can't go back to your previous state of being because now you have a lifetime of experience. You are now the person who actually created all that success. You're the person who created that wealth. You're the person that understands how to live in this dynamic relationship with God where you use your gifts and talents to create what everyone else thought was impossible. You're not starting with nothing because you have everything inside of you that you learned on that journey. So don't think you've gone back to zero. You cannot go back to zero because your soul, your, your soul, your soul is filled with wisdom. So take the material you have because you are not limited by what you do not have. But you are limited by what you do not use that you have. What is it that God has already given you right now that you have been ignoring and leaving idle, that God wants you to access. Maybe it's, it's the lack of discipline, the lack of perseverance. Maybe it's, it's that you need to step in and, and stop allowing negativity and, and, and fear to control your life. Maybe it's time to step up every day with a level of intention and confidence and hope that God is going to make tomorrow better than today. See, maybe you've been neglecting what God has already given you and you haven't been using the intelligence and the gifts and the talents and the passion that God has placed inside of you. Stop complaining about what you do not have and start taking responsibility for what you do have. And then I want you to see with me that you're not only not limited by, by who you are not and you're not limited by what you do not have. You are not limited by what other people don't know. You're not limited by what other people don't know about you. You know, one of the common experiences I, I've learned over a lifetime from people who succeeded greatly is that there were people who did not believe they would ever succeed greatly. It's incredible how many people have told me their story where other people have told them you're out of your mind, you'll never succeed, you don't have the talent, you don't have the gifting. And, and in fact, uh, we've come to know our, our, our friends, um, uh, Paulo and, and Jamie Lima, who started uh, this incredible um, cosmetic company and, and, and they started with nothing. And it's amazing to me how, how when Jamie was starting It Cosmetics, she was told over and over again she would never succeed. She was not the right kind of person. She didn't have the right kind of look. And when she began to share with me the things people would say to her, it, it was just devastating. And yet all those other voices, as powerful as they were, and they came from the world of expertise, did not override the voice that was speaking to her from within her. There was this internal intention and resolve that allowed her to persevere and overcome. And a billion dollars later, she proved them all wrong. And one of the things I, I love to remind myself about the way that God works 
is that whenever God's calling you to do something, whenever God is speaking something into your life, of course people are going to think you're out of your mind. Uh, of course people are going to think there's just no way you're ever going to accomplish that. I mean, I, I can look back even to when I first responded publicly as a new follower of Christ, when, when, when I was in a service and, and they were saying, if God has called you to, to, to be in ministry and if God has called you to, to, um, to communicate the gospel, to preach the gospel, then, then come. And I, I, I had this, this overwhelming feeling inside of me and I was terrified. And I remember that particular night, I, I, I went forward at this church and, and I said, I think God has called me to, to, to preach. And, and one of the people in my life who was closest to me said, we knew that God was going to call your brother, but what in the world is God going to do with you? And I look back and I realize that I did not demonstrate any particular gifts or talents or intelligence or ability. But when you step into that calling, I'm telling you from life experience that you are not limited by what other people don't know. See, they don't know what God's doing inside of you. They do not know what God is speaking into your soul. They do not know what God has placed in you that he's been waiting your entire life to unlock and unleash inside of you. And if I can be a declaration of anything to you right now, I want you to know you are not limited by what other people don't know about who you are, who you're going to become, and what God is doing in your life. But here's the thing. You cannot allow the disbelief of other people to be your excuse for not living in faith. If you need other people to believe in you, then you become dependent on their belief rather than your own conviction of what God is doing in your life. We all need people who believe in us. We, we all need people who see greatness in us. We, we all need people who see the best in us when all there is is the worst of us. But if you don't have that right now, you cannot allow that to be your excuse to stay where you are. That poor man who set his whole city free, do you really think People thought he was God's solution to their devastation and tragedy. Do you really think that when the generals and, and the warriors of that town failed because it says that a great king came and he surrounded it and he built a huge siege work. He took that city as his own. And we read that so quickly, but I'm telling you, that means that, that, that the blood of their warriors filled the streets. You could hear the sounds of widows and orphans crying out in the night. And there was no hope and no future. And everyone who had prepared all their life to fight this battle was now dead and gone. Everyone who had been trained to win this particular battle was now defeated. Who was left? No one would ever thought it would be this poor man whose name remains unknown. No one would have ever picked him. No one would have seen him. No one could have ever known he was the one that God was preparing to set the entire city free. I cannot imagine he started with a lot of support. I cannot imagine that others thought, oh yes, this is exactly how God would do this. I think people thought he was out of his mind. I think people thought that he was completely out of touch with reality. And I hope against hope that if you do not have voices in your life that see the potential in you, that see the possibilities of your life, that see the greatness that's waiting to emerge in your life, 
that you do not listen to all the people who don't know, but only God knows. You don't need position. You do not need power. You do not need fame. You don't need a title. If you understand the power of influence and you take responsibility for what God has placed in your life right now, you will be unstoppable. And by the way, this moment in the life of Solomon, it's almost a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do generations later. Because there was a poor man from a small town with just a few people in it. There was a poor man who was born in Bethlehem and raised in Nazareth. There was a poor man, and others said, does anything good come out of Nazareth? There was a poor man who was unknown and unexpected, who walked among us, and he was God himself, taking on flesh and blood, who lived a sinless and perfect and beautiful life. There was a poor man from a small town with just a few people in it, who gave his life on our behalf, who died on the cross, who rose from the dead and conquered death. And this poor man took on our poverty so that all of us could be set free. There was a poor man who, through his wisdom, set not only his city free, but he sets every heart free who puts their trust in him. And I wonder if right now you need Jesus to set you free. If right now what you need more than anything else is you need this poor, simple man named Jesus, who we now know is God himself, who gave his life for you and rose from the dead so that the moment you would open up your life to him, the moment you would receive from him his forgiveness and his freedom would change your life. So if you're listening right now in this moment, I wanna invite you to cross the line of faith. I wanna invite you to open up your life to Jesus and give your life to him. There's a great exchange that God wants to make happen right now. He wants you to give him your life and he wants to give you his life. And so I wanna lead you in a simple prayer. It's just one sentence. It's not everything you and God need to talk about, but if you're ready to receive the forgiveness and the freedom that only Jesus brings, and I wanna invite you right now just to pray this prayer with me. Would you pray? Jesus, I give you my life. Just tell him right now. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. The beautiful thing about Jesus, he didn't come for position, he didn't come for wealth, he didn't come for fame. He didn't even come for power the way we understand power. Jesus came to set us free. Jesus, more than all, understands the power of influence. He understands that he can change the world one person at a time. And if in this moment you just prayed that prayer, Jesus, I give you my life. The power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. Imagine what God could do with you now. Code two of the way of the warrior. The warrior seeks to be invisible because he understands the power of influence.
Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you've just received, allow it to go deeply into your soul, to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. And I also want to encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here at Mosaic, to go to the Mosaic app and to become a part of the Mosaic Foundation, to become a regular giver and investor in bringing this message across the world. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you.